This week's episode of the Relax Running Podcast is brought to you by relaxrunning.com. If you're not a member there already, why don't you go and check it out? We are, man, there's a heap of stuff on that platform that you're going to enjoy. If you enjoy this podcast, we have bonus podcasts, which go up two to three times a month. We've got training programs from the 5K to the marathon. We're also building a pretty nice little video library with experts in physiotherapy and sports physiology and hearing from athletes themselves in terms of how they train, how they recover, how they do their strength work. Uh, we've also got a community group where you can uh, stay up to date with the insights, the changes, the little updates that you might enjoy. So if that sounds like something that you'd like to get your hands on or just have a little taste, you can start a three-day free trial today and then it is 10 bucks a month us dollars after that so jump on over to relaxrunning.com slash join to check it out this week on the podcast uh i catch up with a mate of mine by the name of dylan stenson i actually hadn't officially met dill until about a week and a half ago but he's married to a very good friend of mine and a name uh who you'd be familiar with jess trengove or formerly jess trengove now jess stenson dill is perhaps the most prominent 800 meter man to have run 147 uh, that I've ever met. He he ran it about 25 times before breaking his PB earlier this year, breaking that 147 barrier, running 146. He's soon getting ready to change to 1500 meters, which is a move that I'm really excited about. And this was a great chat to to pick his brain about training and about recovery and about his step up towards the 1500 meters. I also pick his brain a little bit about the birth of his son, Billy, and how that's uh, affected his running life, his relationship, and a whole heap else. So really enjoyed this conversation. It was actually our round two. We did one last week, but you'll hear more about that at the start of this podcast. So let me get out of your way and welcome to the podcast for the first time, the great man from South Australia, Dylan Stenson. Round two, here we go. <laughs> I've let everyone in on our little secret straight up. We um, we had a practice run last week and you called me back and said, mate, you are the worst interviewer of all time. Let's do that again. Nah, it was, uh, it was all me, mate. I let the, let the team down. <laughs> I listened back to it and I thought, mate, that is a that is a really good interview. But when you said, um, when you go, mate, let's let's go again, I thought, bloody hell, like you got higher expectations on yourself than me because... If I if I redid every podcast of myself that I wasn't happy to, I would never publish one because. <laughs> and the worst thing for me as well is is my wife always goes, "Yeah, babe, like I probably wouldn't publish that either if I was you." Your laugh is horrendous. No, I just enjoy talking to you, mate. I just wanted to do it all over again, so um, that's the reason. <laughs> that, that's how I took it. That's how I took it. I said I said to Jessica, "Go, babe. You know what? I think I've got a new best mate. We just want to sit down for a coffee and an afternoon chat." <laughs> What's uh, been going on? Oh, well, um, it's actually my first, uh, end of my first week at a new job at the moment. So it's been a, been a fun week, um, at SA water actually. So, um, yeah, getting my teeth, uh, you know, sinking my teeth into a project role, which has been, been good fun. Um, Billy had a bit of a, bit of a bloody shocker last night. So I'm, uh, got a, got some bags under my eyes, but, um, <laughs> That's the way it goes sometimes. You can't lucky, win every night. <laughs> lucky no one's going to see this footage. It's just me. You, you could have got away with those. Uh, you could have got away with any bags under your eyes as well. I didn't notice. We are laughing before we hit record, obviously, because i got the fake background, which yeah. is obviously given a very false impression of what my house looks like. <laughs> and um, you got a couple of mannequins in their jocks and bags under your eyes, you reckon. The lighting's done your wonders then, because I can't see them. <laughs> no, thank you. You're making me blush. But, um, yeah, no, there's a couple of, uh, couple of mannequins behind me wearing some pretty nice underwear so um they're yeah, comfy underwear as well just as a just to stay loyal to you i've um <laughs> i've got i've got my uh my rundies on just as a oh, just as a shout out to the stenson family good stuff well we'll make sure we send you some more i think we're due to send you some more uh, i reckon just uh you know it's about time <laughs> oh, man i was laughing with you last week because i thought i was so funny as we started the podcast i said i liked them they just need to be bigger around the front and i thought that was such a great joke and uh i've just <laughs> snuck it in there as well so everyone knows how funny i am 
Yeah, no, look, it's uh, – and I think I said last time that uh, never too big or too small for undies, mate, where you accommodate – they're stretching enough to accommodate everyone. So um, you should be right, I reckon. I would, have, I would have no problem. They don't need to stretch anymore at all. But um, that's for another podcast. <laughs> Dude, um, yeah, last week you, you said you've just started your new job at SA Water. We, we I started taking you down a weird rabbit hole last week as well about water because I've got this Genzon water filter yeah. in my house at the moment which we updated a couple of a couple of weeks ago so i was so fascinated about the water and then i got halfway through the question last week i'm, I'm throwing uh i'm sort of dubbing myself in here i could have got away with all this and not repeated how ridiculous i looked but we got i got halfway into a conversation with you about water and then forgot what we were talking about and started speaking about something else so it's probably a, it's probably a blessing for both of us that we get around to well, I remember you asked me the question. I had no idea what you were talking about. So all my water expertise didn't come in handy for that one. <laughs> <laughs> Man, so the first week's gone good, hey? Yeah. No, it's been great. Yeah, no, really, really enjoyed it. Um, really good team and, uh, yeah, in, enjoyed, I guess, you know, meeting new people. And it's, yeah, pretty cool role. So I'm keen for more, you know, which is which is good after a week. You want to be keen for more. <laughs> yeah. So what is it? It's 2.30 on Friday afternoon in Adelaide now. So are you working full-time or is that like a part-time gig to support your running? Uh, no, it's full-time. So, yeah, so you, um, you know, there's a bit of flexibility there with hours. So I've managed to, you know, black out an hour here and uh, make up later basically. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's a full-time role. So working full-time, which – I've been running, you know, the whole time I've been running, I've actually been working full-time pretty much as well, apart from a few little holidays. But, um, yeah, working full-time five days a week and, and trying to train where we can and uh, trying to treat myself like a full-time athlete as well. And then uh, Billy comes in in there, Billy and Jess, the new little nine-month-old, uh, and uh, who's been a barrel of laughs most of the time. <laughs> well, but not, not last night, hey? He was hard work last night. I think he was probably laughing. I just don't know if we were. <laughs> <laughs> I've got all this to look forward to. So um, actually, yeah, Jesse, my Jess went in for a scan yesterday because our little fella is in is in breached position. Ah, not he's, well. Yep. Yeah, he's not flipping around. So Jesse went in for an ECV yesterday, and uh, I don't know if you know what that is. It's like where they try and flip him around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. Yeah, we didn't. We never had one, but I know. I know what they are. We we talked oh, about. <laughs> yeah. Well, he was he was just so stuck in one spot there at the moment that uh, um, he's not flipping around. But we've got two weeks till he's supposed to be due. But uh, we're tossing up whether or not we're going to be having C-section or, or still just yeah. try and flip him around. But I feel like I'm going to appreciate these sleepless nights in the the very near future. So. If yeah. there's any bags under your eyes whatsoever, there's there's going to be plenty undermining in the next couple of months, I imagine. Yeah, well, for what it's worth, it sounds like a very similar scenario for um, to what Jess and I had. So we we Billy was in breach as well. Um, I think from about 20, oh, 20 weeks on was just about fairly fairly early, and he just didn't move. Um, and we we never tried to spin him, and so that was the reason um, we went through it with Jess having a Caesar. Uh, but uh, I actually found it. I mean, it's the only experience I've had as a, you know, as a dad through a pregnancy, but I found it quite uh, convenient and quite good and quite planned out. It was, uh, it was a really good way to do it in my opinion. So um, it depends obviously on the, on the individual, but for our circumstance, it was a, it was, it was a pretty cool thing. Um, we, uh, we, we actually, well, we, we have, you know, you have, you have a date fixed in. Um, so we had a date locked in um, and it got moved a couple of times um, later in the piece, but we, you know, we knew it was happening on a Saturday. And then, um, so Friday night, we went out for a couple of mocktails and, uh, you know, had an early night and just sort of went to bed feeling a bit strange that the next day it was all sort of happening. And then, uh, you know, rocked up at the hospital at 9.30 or something. And then by about 10.30 a.m., this is all in the morning, he was he was out and ready to go. <laughs> Gee, it's a, it's a crazy headspace. It's something that I'd never really appreciated, I, I think, until Jesse had been pregnant like the especially the last couple of weeks where due date's getting close and i'm starting to get a little bit nervous about what to anticipate with the labor and stuff like that and i remember we were laughing last week because you said by the time you got into the um the actual uh, what do you, is it an operating theater what do you call it yeah, like it yeah yep um that was like some watching someone make a sandwich so the the thought of because here's the thing i want to be able to have the courage to to see our little fella come out i would love to do it but but Jesse's a little bit like, babe, I don't know if I can let you see me with my guts open um, watching this little baby get cut out. Like, how, how did you cope with that? Because I don't, 
before you went in there, were you confident that you were going to be able to see it? Because I'm in the uh, situation where I'm like, right now, I don't think I can do it. But I can imagine like the adrenaline might take over and I'm in that situation and go, all right, this is a once off. Let's let's have a look. Yeah. No, I had really no idea how I was going to cope. So I I don't I don't think I necessarily cope good or badly with, with blood and gore. You know, there was a time I remember I cut my finger once and there was blood. Um coming out and I washed my hands and the blood went through the, the sink of or the basin, this white basin with blood in it, and I felt like I nearly passed out. And so I was really unsure um, going into it how I'd react. And I think, in a way, that's the beauty of it. You just don't know uh, how you're going to react. It's, it's this bit of a journey and invent, adventure. Um, so I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to watch or not not watch. I really didn't know, but uh, I, I got in there. Um, Jess was all hooked up and had her, uh, I think it was, Oh, the anaesthetic in, in her back. I don't think it, she didn't end up having a, um, the big needle, just a little needle. So they have a curtain up so that you sort of, you're up the front with, with uh, I was up the front with Jess and, you know, keeping her company and watching everyone buzz around. And we actually had Jess's sister in there as well, who's a nurse. And she was, she was great. She was a bit more, probably pretty, bit more relaxed because she's used to that kind of thing. So I had, we had their, um, her there as support, which was great. Uh, so I was sort of, you know, sitting there with Jess and the uh, sort of started happening. I looked over the curtain to have a bit of a look. And um, when I, I saw what they were doing, they were basically starting the incision. And I just watched. Oh, so you there. saw it from the start. See, this is my thing. I thought that, okay, I yeah, I, I pictured that little fella was about to come out and you just poke your head around to see that part. But you see it from the get-go. Yeah, I saw it from the start. Um, I like I didn't just lock on from the start. Sort of, you know, I saw the the, the incision, and I, you know, went back to Jess and said, you know, not, I didn't tell her what they were doing. I was just being there with her. And then, oh, look, I found it really fascinating, and yeah, obviously, it's a bit, you know, it's naturally scary. It's all very different. You're worried about Jess, and you're worried about um, the baby, but it's it is just so exciting. And we had a great team around us, and. They're all happy and confident that the doctors are really good and that um, that makes you feel pretty comfortable. And I guess we were just really fortunate it all went really smoothly. Um, Billy came out and uh, let out a big big cry eventually and he was happy and healthy. And, um, yeah, it just it's it's just one of those most surreal, amazing things. And everyone, people say it and it's, it's you know, it changes your life and it just, it's one of the most amazing or surreal experiences you have. And, and I believe them and I knew that would be the case, but it's just hard to imagine how that would unfold and, and how it actually, you know, impacts you as a, as a person. But, um, yeah, we've just been so thrilled. We've, we've really loved parenthood. Um, Billy has been, you know, they have their ups and downs, obviously, naturally with uh, – the way they sleep some nights and not sleep other nights. Um, but, yeah, it's been amazing. We, we just have loved it. And um, Jess has done an incredible job being a mum. She's just, yeah, we're just besotted by this little man. So, um, yeah, we're, we've, I guess it's been an interesting sort of last nine months in the world, uh, so to speak, but um, we've just felt so lucky to have Billy to keep us entertained through some of those lockdowns. and then. Uh, yeah, I guess working from home has actually worked really well too um, for some of that, which was which was great. So no, we're doing we're doing well, mate. I think uh, you've got a lot to look forward to. Uh, yeah. Next next few weeks. I'm, I'm excited, excited, man. My uh, my first introduction, in fact, my only introduction to little Billy was I think it was February this year. When was he born? What month? Uh, November. Okay. Yeah. So he's a couple of months old, and uh, I just started the podcast. Actually, I caught up with Jess. And we had to pause the podcast once or time, twice because he, he he kept doing little shits. <laughs> yeah. so, yeah. No, he's a great time, Billy. Um, he's, he, he, yeah, whips him out at the best times. It's quite uh, inconvenient for us, but uh, he seems to enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, no, that's awesome. I'm excited for it. Oh, round two, we'll, I'm sure we'll have a bit more to be able to compare with you. I've been watching, I've seen some, I've been trying to get myself like mentally psyched up for it. And I've seen a couple of birth videos. In fact, Jess has shown me some, I don't know why. And yeah. uh, it trips me out. Like what did little Billy look like? I've got to keep clarifying, don't I? I'd be so confused if your Jess started sending me those videos. <laughs> um, what, uh, like they look, they look super strange when they come out. Like was little Billy all purple and, and stuff or what color was he? I, well, he was 
he looked relatively normal. Like they always look a little bit strange um, because he had a Caesar and it was, I guess he wasn't ready for it. So he, he was in his, he didn't know what was happening, did he? He was just, all of a sudden he was out. There was no labor process. There was no um, warning for him, so to speak. And there was not a lot of, uh, you know, he didn't, ex- I guess, experience any of the trauma that might be associated with a natural birth sometimes. So he, he came out looking pretty fresh, um, in a bit of shock, probably more than anything. <laughs> um, and, um, yeah, he was pretty normally colored and, we, you know, we, we, we went through some, I guess, you know, the, the classes and the birthing videos and, and tried to prepare for whatever scenario might unfold. And I think it was really important for us to, just sort of be, it could, you know, acknowledge it could be a natural birth or it could be a cesarean and not, and just adapt with what will unfold as it does because it is a bit of an unknown um, going through the, that process. Um, and yeah, we just surrounded ourselves with a team we were pretty comfortable with. And thankfully, they were the ones who ended up there on the, on the day. Um, our, our doctor and um, our pediatrician that we'd worked with. Um, and yeah, it all just happened. I, probably the one of the most interesting parts of the day is I actually went out for a race that day, which wasn't necessarily, you know, planning to, but uh, there was uh, the location of the hospital was right near the track and uh, everything went so smoothly. And a few hours after Billy was born, uh, yeah, but I, I talked to Jess and said, look, there's, there's an 800 on down the track. I, I'm thinking I might just go for a jog, jog there and, uh, and have a crack just for a, for a bit of fun because yeah i can and i thought it would be quite a cool experience and it's it was such a surreal thing but yeah billy was a would have been three or four hours old and i ducked out for a for a uh little 800 meter race and <laughs> i had my hospital band on saying yeah, father of billy on there and did a couple laps of the track and it was one of those really uh strange experiences where no one really knew that billy had been born i hadn't told anyone at that stage it was just all in my i was only one who knew and obviously those at the hospital so we had this race I, i'm pretty sure i got the win but it was such a blur i guess there was a lot happening at the time but, uh, <laughs> it was, uh yeah really really cool experience and that just shows i guess the kind of how supportive jesse's of running as well she's uh, wouldn't wouldn't always go down well but it uh she was happy for me to go out and do that and and it was almost spiritual wasn't it this uh this race but uh yeah pretty cool experience <clears throat> yeah man no that's crazy it's awesome i um i can yeah it's funny because i i always hear people speak about how much of an awesome experience it is watching your little kid be born but then to be in that moment i can fire out well we'll speak in a few weeks and we'll we'll compare notes but i'm sure yeah. i'll be uh i'll be right up there with you Absolutely. how's it um i'm interested to pick your brain a bit man because i know like there's a bit of a stereotype with a lot of distance runners that when it comes to your, your running, it's a bit selfish. And like, I guess it's true in a lot of senses, but yeah, I guess there's only so much of that selfishness that you can, you can have when you've, when you've got your own little kid. Has it been a, like a, a, a weird sort of vibe to adjust to when it comes to training with you and Jess? Like, have you guys, um, like, was there a bit of an adjustment period where you were trying to figure out whose role was what and who can train when and stuff? Or how have you guys managed that? Yeah, there is, and it naturally is a challenge, and it's an adaption um, that we had to sort of make, and a little bit unknown how we're going to cope with that. Jess. Obviously, was um, pretty keen to back into it, get back into her running as well. I mean, with the cesarean, the first six weeks she wasn't going to be doing any running. You know, that was a time to to heal and really not do much at all. Um, so that I had free reign that first six weeks, um, and probably one of the main changes is we didn't really get to run together much anymore we used to get a few jogs in here and there um, when our training permitted uh which we didn't get the chance to do much because one of us did have to look after billy and you know we found ways in our parents help out now and we can uh get babysitters and, and we still get the chance to go for some jogs together but it is a challenge and it's something which um yeah there's no no real easy answer for us it was both being runners i think we did have that understanding of how important it was for each of us to be able to, to be able to fit that in. And, you know, in terms of being selfish, I don't really feel like it was this, this any sort of selfish decision. It was, uh, you know, us being happy and healthy probably meant that Billy was happy and healthy too. And um, I don't feel like uh, it's detracted at all from, from Billy's upbringing. I think he's, he's had a, a great start. You know, he's really uh, fit, uh, so to speak, and happy and healthy as well. So, um, yeah, we, we have a, 
busy schedule, but it is just juggling around and um, finding that support network where you can um, people that you who we're lucky that our parents live um, in Adelaide. Uh, both our, um, my mum lives in Adelaide too. Um, Dad lives in Coffin Bay, but um, he's not too far away. So we had a, a good support network and. We've got some great uh, family friends who look after Billy and um, one of Jess's, uh, Amy Cure, who's almost like a, a sister to Jess, has been um, around a lot to help look after Billy and they just love him a bit. So, yeah, we've been lucky we've got that support network there to allow us to, to train a bit more. But, yeah, without doubt, it's it's flat out, you know, especially when I'm back at work at, at the office. Um, it makes things pretty busy and trying to slot in the training here and there. And um, what I've found particularly um useful lately is, is the sort of jogs and the longer runs have been a lot easier to achieve um, without having to go to the track and and do specific 800 training sessions it's you know that's quite a time-consuming thing to do where you go there warm up and do your drills and and get the session done um for an 800 style session so this sort of winter base i've i've found a bit easier uh, slot things in where you can just put the sneakers on jump jump out run outside and um, get your session done and come back um we live near um, the Torrens River in Adelaide, so we do a lot of our running along the river, which has um, been a great venue. But, uh, yeah, no, it's – yeah, Jess is yeah, – I've been so fortunate that Jess is so supportive of, of, of um, and allowed me to, to really do that to a, to a high level. So, uh, I mean, my PB was actually run when in February when Billy was um, – would have been a few months old. So I was able to still – you know, my best run has been as a dad, which I'm – yeah, pretty pretty proud of um that uh, that i was you know because i you just don't know do you you, you, you might all be too much the, the lack of sleep and or the change in sleep pattern because it's not always a lack of sleep it can be just you know the change the change in sleep and um but so far so good and uh we've had a uh i guess at four months billy's sleep patterns changed a bit for probably the worse um and it hasn't been quite as smooth for the whole whole point um period but uh yeah it's all in all it's been phenomenal, phenomenal and, and yeah jess has done so well to get back to the level she's at i mean sharing a 10k pb um just recently on the road oh. a road 10k pb so she's back you know which is pretty cool <laughs> oh whoa i had i had no idea that's uh it's, it's tripped me out there seems to be a lot of people running pbs at this time of the year or just busting out some fast times it's been yeah. interesting to watch man because um i thought with this whole coronavirus thing that it's just going to go dead quiet for a while but yeah. it's been this cool, like, even though it's obviously disappointing that the Olympics are cancelled and, you know, a lot of the big major championships are sort of put on hold, or the big the big meets are put on hold. It's been interesting just watch athletes adapt and adjust. And I saw uh, Matty Ramsden ran, like, 7.39 the other day and uh, Ryan Gregson ran 7.45 in pouring rain. And then the girls went out and did some runs. And now you're yeah. telling me Jess is running 10K PVs. It's, it's sort of cool to watch everyone adjust and adapt. It, it is. It's phenomenal. And I've been um, watching that those stallion races as well, you know, un, unreal, like a pretty cool concept, but those guys are flying. So um, I was pretty keen to have a, have a crack at a 3k time trial. I don't, don't know if I'd uh, be anywhere near those times, but I'm keen to have a go. I've got a bit of a base under my belt now. So who knows? <laughs> are there any, are there any 3k's planned over there? Well, that was for the month of July. Wasn't it that Steigen 3k? Yeah. So yeah, I, I did miss my boat there. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> um, there was uh there's nothing – there's some cross-countries um, planned, um, but track, you know, would just be arranged, I guess, if there was an event we wanted to arrange. But, um, yeah, so there's – I've got actually the 6K cross-country relay tomorrow, which will be a bit of fun um, here in Adelaide. Uh, and, yeah, there was – I did a 4K cross-country and an 8K cross-country and a 5K road race, which is actually PB for me too, about a minute PB. So I've really – uh embrace this bit of mileage and longer stuff uh, over this period but um yeah we're just feeling lucky that i guess in adelaide at the moment we can still do that stuff and it's feel like it's you know a bit imminent that that might change with what's happening in, in melbourne and interstate but um while the last we'll try and enjoy it yeah Mate, we're, we're stuffing it up for everyone i could not believe it yesterday so today's friday um yesterday i said to my Jesse, I go, babe, just give us an update on the numbers. Because the day before, uh, Wednesday, I think we were back down to 250. And I was like, oh, fantastic. Yeah. Like we're starting to see some real good numbers and uh, some real good drops. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, yesterday went up to like 750. And today again was, I think, 650. Like we're not mucking around. We're like the yeah. dirty state in Australia at the moment. 
Yeah, no, I've been following it quite closely too, and it was, yeah, it looked like the uh, worst of it might have been behind us, but uh, that that big spike yesterday was, yeah, a bit concerning. So we'll see what happens, hey, I guess, uh, yeah. You guys have done pretty well in Adelaide. It's been it's been amazing. Have you guys had any any uh, what do you call it? Any diagnosis or any any positive? Yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. (laughs) Like we've had most of ours, well, all of ours, in fact, have been from um, interstate or overseas travellers recently. So there was, yeah, nothing in terms of community transmission. There's been nothing for for quite a while. So you, you you do feel pretty safe, and that's that's a good thing. But at the same time, we're Melbourne and Victoria providing this early warning sign for us that, you know, we really do need to be careful um, and, and it only takes a few cases or one case to slip through the net and all of a sudden um, it can spread pretty quick. So, yeah, we'll do what we can. I, I think some precautionary measures wouldn't go astray over here. I think that, that may actually happen. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if we end up implementing some form of restrictions or some strategies to help stop the spread if, if a case does slip through. But, um yeah, it's a what a world we live in, hey. It's uh, been a very unique scenario. Yeah, it has for sure. So, are you guys pretty much operating as per usual? Uh fairly well within. Yeah, within there, there's hand sanitizer everywhere. Um, the, uh, I guess there's working from home arrangements at, at the office, so you can sort of spend maybe a few days there and a few days at home. They're trying to keep the uh, density of people in their in their down. Um, so, but that that's been good. I've I've been at the office all week this week just because it was my first week, um, pretty well. So, yeah, I think they've learned a lot. You know, I think a lot of businesses and a lot of companies have learned a lot about how to and how effective it can be working remotely and working from home. So, some of those strategies will probably stay in place for for a while, which is a great thing. I think, particularly um, with you know people with families and stuff, it's been a really good way to not feel so distant from them. Um, but in terms of what restrictions are, you really there's not. Yeah, you can do pretty much anything. Like our races have been happening, and and I'm pretty sure there's still you can still go to the, you know pub. I haven't been out to you know hit a dance floor for a while, but I think they might. <laughs> is that a good thing or is that a bad thing for the people around? You got a few moves up your sleeve. Uh, oh, there's that'd be very rusty. I need to have a couple of practice practice rounds like we did with this podcast. But um, <laughs> uh, there's some dance moves in there. I didn't. Didn't win Jess all by the, uh, you know, was, was a- <laughs> um, but yeah, no, nah, Adelaide, we, we it, I suppose it's the benefit, the benefit of a smaller city. We, we are just a little bit more isolated and it can be controlled that bit easier, but, uh, uh, yeah, fingers crossed the rest of the country can, uh, stay healthy and pull through this really. Cause it's, yeah, it's pretty tragic really when you think about how many people will be affected and, and will inevitably lose their lives um, from this in the next month or two. You know, it's, it's pretty sad. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully you guys hold it together over there. You've been doing a bloody good job so far. I've been trying to figure out how to sneak across the border so I can be part of the clean state, but apparently <laughs> there's big fines being thrown out for that at the moment, so I've, uh, I've decided to be on my best behaviour. But, um, man, it's it's cool. It's, you must have a, a busy schedule um, at the moment with your with your SA water. And, like, what's the Rundy schedule like? Is there a lot of hands-on stuff there, or is that sort of – like how is that another full-time job on top of your full-time job or no it's it's i'd say that's a little bit of a casual job on top of the full-time job um and that's just juggled between jess and i um so i'm currently sitting in the in the rundy's office where all the business happens uh there's boxes of stock behind me and uh as we pointed out before a couple of nice looking mannequins um (laughs) (laughs) but uh yeah it's it's just orders here and there and and you can it's one of those businesses, I guess, where you, you what you put into it, you sort of get out. So if you do the marketing, you, you get some orders and there's always a trickle of orders kind of nonstop where, um, which we just constantly send out really. It's not a, we're pretty efficient now. I've got it down to a, a fine art, but, uh, it's, look, it's, it's really, it's been a cool business. It's been nearly five years now since we uh, started, uh, operating. Um, and it's been a really great learning experience and the whole, reason we started was i guess to to try something different but also find ways to um give back to some of the athletes in a way like it, sort of what Stigan's doing in, in a way like the way they're promoting races and and um putting funding up for races that was a it's a really cool thing and 
we've been trying to do that um, with runnies on a bit of a smaller level. Um, you know, we've paid for some flights for some athletes and done a few little things to try and help out. And that was what we were trying to do. And um, I guess the bigger runnies gets, the more we could be able to do that and, and uh, help and support the sport of athletics, which, as we know, is not the most financial of, uh, of sports. Uh, so that was a way we we're trying to, yeah, do that. But it's look, it's been great. We we just we love the product, and um, it's just been really fun being able to create this brand and and product, and it's, I guess create something we're quite proud of now. It's you know we really um, we, we think the website's pretty cool, and um, we've, yeah, got a bit of a little bit of a following that people. Uh, have a lot of positive feedback for their for their undies, and we find that really rewarding too. So, yeah, it's been good fun, and it's that's that's sort of after hours. Some you know some nights we'll sit in here for an hour or two and just tap away doing orders or whatnot. Yeah. Um, so, like, what are the what are the big sort of things that you're trying to solve whenever you sit down and you're organising? Obviously, you've got the orders and stuff, and and the designs and yeah. everything like that. But I can imagine. Um, like the marketing side of it would be a, a fairly big thing, just trying to get the word out there about the fact you exist. And like, are you targeting are you targeting just runners, or is it pretty much just athletes in general? Oh, I mean, we were initially probably targeting runners, but um, the underwear in its the way it's designed is really ideal for any active um, people. It's it's comfy and it's designed to um, wick away the moisture, and there's some antimicrobial properties in the um, in the in the gusset. So. We essentially designed um, the underwear to be exactly what we wanted, um, which was for running, but also uh, inadvertently it was it's good underwear for any any activity or active um, people. So that design process was was pretty interesting. They are communicating with China, which is where we essentially had to make them. Um, it wasn't possible to make them in Australia. So communicating our designs and the back and forth and getting samples and also trusting the manufacturer because there's a point where you send a lot of money overseas and uh you hope like hell that there's going to be some product arriving at your doors <laughs> um and thankfully that that all went re- relatively smoothly and there's been a lot of learning along the way we've had some sizing issues we've had um some packaging issues and uh all stuff that was little setbacks but um that was setbacks we were able to able to overcome and and adapt and um yeah fix and and keep things moving and and it's just ticking along now I guess self-sustained. It just uh, self-sustains, and we order new stock where we need to with the with the revenue it raises and support. If we can support some runners, even with with some product as well, we we try and do that uh, where we can because um, there's not many underwear sponsors out there actually, which is quite fortunate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a unique field to get into. It's funny, man. I know that feeling about handing some money over and hoping your product arrives. So, Jesse, or uh, she ordered about six months ago. She put an order in for a cot to come over from China. We sent 200 bucks and we're still waiting for this cot to arrive. So I think some cheeky bloke's just taken his family out for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're trying to for dinner in China. Um, yeah, it would be as well. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's probably on a ship somewhere coming, mate, or it's probably in an airport somewhere waiting for a plane to, uh, to actually fly to Australia. So who knows? <laughs> it's, I know, yeah, we haven't ordered any stock since um, – coronavirus started we, we fortunately had enough stock to get us through and we don't actually have yeah we don't need to order any soon so we'll just let it play out for a while and uh until there's planes and flights again <laughs> yeah man yeah so i know you said you you ran a 5k pb fairly recently and like is that are you sort of targeting um has this whole corona situation affected your training and your racing and stuff like that have you been putting in more like a winter base at the moment or i'm interested just to know how you manage your, your full-time job with your training and um yeah. I think there's a lot of people out there who would really relate because there's a lot of relatively new runners who listen to the podcast as well. And I think one thing that a lot of them are juggling with is the fact that they, they do have families and they do have jobs and they're yeah. not necessarily, um, I don't know, I, I used to say blessed with the fact that you can just run full time. But then the more good runners I speak to, like Liam Adams and Lee Troop and yourself, who are saying, no, nah, we're, we're working full time and running full time, it's yeah. It's sort of encouraging for for people to hear that it can be done. So, like, how how do you manage it? Is there anything in particular that uh, has really helped your your program stay consistent with the obviously full time work and family commitments that that you yeah. have? No, absolutely. So I, I started running at twenty five. So since my whole running career, so to speak, I've I have been working full time. Um, and I, you know, I had a mortgage as well. Like I, I wasn't like I could sort of save up for a while, and then, and then, I, yeah, I had a, had a house to pay off as well, and I was living at a home, so working full time was kind of 
uh, a necessity with where I was at at life uh, in life. Um, I it is it is a challenge, no, no doubt. Um, I was fortunate in the sense that my hours were quite stable, um, so I used to work roughly eight till uh, you know eight till four thirty, and training started at five thirty. So that would essentially mean that uh, yeah, I'd, I'd finish work and go to training um, and train that five five o'clock sort of time slot, um, and that was uh, a routine I was able to sustain for most of my most of my running, um, and. It's complicated further, I guess, recently for, for obvious reasons with Billy. But um, I guess what I've found with my training is, you know, we had our session days on on Tuesday and, and Thursday and generally Saturday. And the other days were, were gym and jog. Um, so those sessions were kind of – that structure didn't change a whole lot. So once once that was in place, I, I knew what was happening. It was uh, – it was – almost just a compulsory thing like after work i'd go to training and that was just just what you did and after work i'd, I'd go to gym or jog and gym so the, the routine was quite um rigid in a way uh, through that through that time uh, and that helped a lot i guess you know if, so, if someone invited you somewhere or wanted you to do something generally if it was in those time slots just say, I'll, I'll come afterwards or i'll uh, there's plenty of times where i'd rocked up at dinners and stuff at 7 30 or 8 o'clock because i had training and it wasn't ever in my mind it wasn't ever a question of whether I went to training, it was a question of whether I went to the dinner after training or whatever other social commitment was uh, happening. It's and that structure I, f- I found really helped me. In that, I think I am the kind of person who needs uh, a bit of structure. Um, I had a period in uh, where I took, I think it was about four months off and, and travelled in Europe and, and trained sort of as a full time athlete for a while, and that was great. I loved it, but in terms of um, getting more of a I suppose improving my performance, I didn't notice a lot of difference. It was I felt good. I, I was able to train as I would hope to as a full-time athlete, um, but I was essentially running very similar um, quality and times as, as I always have with full-time work. So um, I guess, uh, yeah, a rigid a rigid training program and, and just realising that training was never really optional. It was just that was just what happened on those days. Um, and then making sure you get enough sleep really is is so so critical and that's the you know one of the biggest performance enhancers you can do as an athlete and i think, I think it you know you hear it a lot but it is still so underrated that sleep is just so critical um and so the odd morning jogs used to happen and then apart from that it was gym and sessions and jogging after after work and um sunday long run and saturday race or or session so throughout the last six or seven years that I've been running that really hasn't changed a whole lot much at all. Um, apart from it recently, I've, I've tried to train at lunchtime sometimes. So I've been doing some sessions in my lunch break on a Tuesday and Thursday. Um, and that's mainly because I just want to see Billy and the family. Like I don't want to, I guess, train until 7 PM when Billy goes to bed. Um, I, I just, I really value that time with him. So I'm, I'm fortunate. My, my work is in, in, in the city at the moment. So I can, um, um, generally can train um, at lunchtime and, and just get it done, jog to the, the uni loop, do a couple of couple of laps, bit of a session and, and jog back, have a shower and, and crack on with, with work. So that workplace flexibility and, and the type of job I've, I guess, found myself in is allowed for that. Um, and I'm yeah, incredibly grateful for that, really, that um, um, I guess first I have a job in the current climate and also a job that allows me to feel like I'm running at my best or allowing me to run and train at my best and juggle family life as well. So um, that's probably all I can, can say, uh, Tyson. But, uh, yeah, it's doable. Um, it's just after there's, there's just not a lot of time for Netflix. That's the only problem. <laughs> there's so many good shows to catch up on as well. Far out, <laughs> man. We're going to have to get your priorities sorted. <laughs> <laughs> No, that's great, man. So you're training with Ronaldi's group, aren't you? You got uh, Peter Boll and Joseph Deng. Obviously, they're in in Melbourne, but you're yeah. under the guidance of Ronaldi. Yeah, so Ronaldi's my my coach. Um, he's he's it's been nearly two years now, roughly. So before that, I had uh, a lady called Judy Daly, um, who was my coach from day one. From when I was 25, she coached me for roughly four or five years. Um, tremendous coach. Um, her husband was the national coach for probably 20 years so they were just judy was an oracle and she communicated 
um, so much about why we're doing the sessions and what sort of training we're doing and why. And it was a very speed-based program. And she actually passed away from breast cancer, um, which was very sad. It was um, sort of cause we didn't know. Yeah, it was one of those things that it happened quickly at the end, almost caught us caught us off guard a little bit. But um, I uh, followed her. Uh, training philosophy for the rest of that season, um, which was in the lead up to the uh, Com Games trials. So that was an unbelievable um, experience, just in that, yeah, the, the Com Games obviously a pretty exciting event um, for Australia, and the trials were, were just a few months before that, and it was at the stadium up there at the Gold Coast, um, you know, incredibly high standard of, of middle distance running in Australia at that time in, in the men's and the women's. Um, and I had this, yeah, I wanted to do duties training justice as well so I'd, I'd really i had a lot of motivation to do well and i was really happy with the way i ran up there i got through the final and i think ended up coming fourth in the final um, which didn't get me a spot at the, at the games but um i was really proud of the way i ran and ran a pb and um, that was the same um same event where joe ding ran the 145 800 in the, in the b race which was pretty remarkable um from the front so yeah it was a real buzz and that was such a highlight of my i guess career um that experience and uh after that i transitioned into um i knew justin Rowdy quite well and, and his guys quite well he's he'd uh, done some training camps there with him in melbourne over the years and had a, had a good relationship with him and really just loved uh the philosophy you know he's a great guy and um great man and, and an absolute guru on the 800 and uh really wanted his uh i guess overseeing what i was doing really I, as a senior athlete i have a lot of involvement in my in my program where i i kind of write my program at the moment and particularly this time of year it's a bit more relaxed it's just uh, developing a bit of a base and i'm trying to delve into the the mileage a little bit more um but i just value having jr's input uh, so much just to uh, keep me on track and make me feel like i'm Ensuring I'm doing the right things, and particularly in some of those critical times of year when, um, in the lead up to big races and nationals, it's yeah, really value having him on board. And what he's done with athletes over the years is is phenomenal. You know, the the fastest uh, uh, Australian all time in Joe Dean just recently, and uh, uh, Peter Bowen, uh, Alex Rowe, and he's had a lot of success. So he knows his stuff, and even himself is an athlete uh, with some credentials uh, back in the day. So. No, I've always found myself in good hands, uh, which is, yeah, which has been great. And in terms of the way I train locally, so my wife, Jess, is under obviously running marathons for Team Tempo under Adam Didick. Um, so I train a bit with those guys and have the support of that group as well. So I get some uh, ASICs, ASICs gear and, and try and uh, – so I run as a Team Tempo athlete and um, coached by by um, Justin and, and – got some sprint coaches as well in, in Andrew Beck and uh yeah I've got a really good support network so I guess it's uh, I've got no excuses really I should be should be running well <laughs> that's beautiful I can't wait to see Billy in 20 years because mate with your speed and Jess's endurance surely he's got something running through his blood that's going to leave him in a good position to run quick well it's, it's possible and um, unless he ends up with um my endurance and Jess's speed then he might be in strife but, uh, <laughs> Hopefully not. Jess has still got some good speed. <laughs> it's interesting that you um that you use the word guru with JR before because he's definitely got that reputation. Whenever I think of him, especially with the eight hundred, it's just um I know he used to be an eight hundred meter man and he might have dabbled in like a few fifteens, didn't he? Yeah, but, so he'll uh, I might get these wrong, but I think he's run a forty seven something four hundred, he's run a one forty seven uh, eight hundred and a three forty fifteen hundred. So he had a lot of range um in that yeah, in those that middle distance realm uh and yeah you could arguably say had even more success as a coach over the years so yeah it's and i think last time we talked about how much of a, a puzzle the 800 was and that it's that uh it gets people hooked and i think that's one of the reasons that uh justin and even myself are a bit hooked on this this 800 event because it really is that that middle ground where you need to be fast you need to be strong um but yeah you need a bit of fitness too and you can approach it from so many different angles and you know the training varies so much between athletes. It's quite remarkable um, what you see other 800 runners doing um, compared to what I have done, which uh, for you know for most of my career was probably less than 50 k's a week. Uh, in fact, more like 20 to 30, sometimes 40 k's a week, and that would um, 
that was the extent of you know they're good good quality case good quality um mileage but uh yeah in terms of volume it just wasn't wasn't a lot so um and that worked well for me and i had did dabble in some longer stuff uh but i found it was at the expense of my speed and, and found it really hard to run a decent four and eight um and really had to rein it in and focus on the speed again so i'm at a point now where i'm dabbling again in that a bit of that longer stuff and um i want to i want to run a, a few 15s and, and see how i go with that and with that i think we'll come a, a better 5k time as well so um we've got the 5k pb ticked off just need to work on the eight and 1500 pbs to to come with all this extra base that we've got <laughs> yeah what did you run that 5k and what's your pb uh 1509 oh uh, not mucking around for an 800 meter man well yeah, I mean it was it was all right, but uh, it would, it's uh, nothing compared to what some of the other hundred runners uh, can do. You know, when, when you, I think what Rising Matthews could do over uh, over five k, I'd uh, I'd be a lap behind, I reckon. Um, but uh, again, that's just that that difference in training style and different in, in, in athletes, which is yeah, what makes it so fascinating. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to think. I reckon I reckon you're cutting yourself short a little bit. I reckon you would give Risley a run for his money over five k. What did he? Do you know what Risley ever ever ran? I reckon he. I know he's busted out like a, a really solid three k. I honestly don't know. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't Mate, know. I'd love to see that race. I reckon. Uh, I reckon Rundy's could sponsor that one. The battle of the the battle of the five k for the eight hundred meter boys. <laughs> that'd be a, yeah. that'd be a fun one to watch. We've had a good couple of weeks. We've got a bit of revenue spare. We might be able to think about it. <laughs> <laughs> Man, what is it um like from your perspective? Yeah, you're so right when you talk about 800 meter runners and just the random approaches, like the fact that you were doing just pretty small weeks in comparison to what a a lot of other athletes were doing. I think to like Peter Snell, who I think the New Zealand athlete from back in the what was it like the 70s, and his winters were. Dis- mm. oh, and his winters were just disgustingly big in terms of the. Um, yeah. like the the rate sorry the uh the volume yeah. that he was doing and then so what is jr's approach or are, are you quite similar in terms of what you're doing now because i think i mentioned last time we spoke that joe ding and peter bowl both ran an awesome run around the tan the other day um like an incredible time for for anyone let alone sort of 800 meter specialists yeah. is there is there like a fair volume uh attached to the training that you're doing now or is it still quite speed oriented oh it is you know that it does change a bit over um this parts of the year but even those guys uh, it's on instagram you know jr puts it up i think they hit roughly hit 50 or 60 k's a week and that's often the limit for them um but i think it's important to probably realize that mileage is such a in my opinion quite a meaningless um metric really like the what you're doing a week you know for example as a marathon runner is probably still only just for example might be 20 or 30 k's of of quality work and the rest is is just um, jogging and uh, a long run, really. So that volume that people talk about, you know, 160 k's a week, a lot of that's just jogging. And when you think about jogging and the benefit of jogging for someone like an, uh, an 815 runner, or um, it's debatable whether there's that much benefit there. And every every athlete is is different, um, obviously, and that's really important for, to acknowledge as well. Um, but my focus has always been, uh, yeah, quality reps and. I'd never really done much more than a mile rep or a 1K rep until quite recently. So within the last couple of years, I've started doing some um, mile reps and, and 2K reps uh, and more 1K reps, which um, really that's a bread and butter 5K, um, 10K session. And, you know, Jess is still out there doing um, 1K reps and uh, amongst other things. So I think training volume and mileage is such a um, – it's quite a meaningless metric in a lot of ways and the quality behind um, uh, the sessions that you're doing the eights and 15 still has a lot of um, you, when you do a, a session where you're doing six by 300s off of three minutes, it's, it's a short session. It's only 1.8 Ks, but your heart is and lungs are still screaming after every one of those reps. And I think you're still getting those, a lot of those beneficial adaptions you need to um, promote as a, uh, that you're trying to achieve in your training um so i've always had a strong focus on quality and trying to um really the sessions run i guess might be one session a week faster than race pace a session a week at 800 race pace and a session a week uh where you might do yeah 1500 pace and then maybe even 5k pace so you sort of 1k reps and that would change a bit throughout throughout the year but yeah a lot of it is trying to 
achieve volume at, at race pace or, or above and below that um, quite closely uh, and then supplement in that uh, training with all these one percenters that you get from and I'll say gym is probably more like a 10 percent of gym. Gym is very important uh, and then with running there's only so much of it you can do before your body will break as well so there's all these other little benefits you can get i think uh doing cross training which i think is quite underrated uh jumping on the elliptical on the roller and swimming you know swimming's phenomenal the fact that you're um exerting yourself and, and um working your body but also in an oxygen depleted environment where you you can't breathe all the time so you're you're training yourself to operate where there's this i guess suppressed supply of oxygen which uh, i think if you bring all those things together, there's a lot of ways to train um, and, and uh, yeah, create adaptions which uh, can supplement the running training, which is really important as uh, when you're trying to get the most out of yourself. Um, so for me, if I was to think about what the ultimate uh, session would be or ultimate week of training or training block would be, it would involve a lot of yeah, gym and swimming and cycling and cross training as well as running, which um, no doubt is the best training for running. But at the same time, there's a certain amount you can do before you break. So if you can supplement that with other other things, I think you're uh, going a long way to you help, help yourself improve. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's such a good point, man. I really like that. I think it's so easy to overlook the other stuff just and fall into the trap of thinking, all right, to be a good runner, I've got to do what you said. I've got to run more. Um, and, yeah, sure, that's true to an extent. But I remember um, I, I caught up with Jen Gregson a few months ago, and one thing that she said to me was she was having trouble with injuries quite quite regularly. She went through a phase where she just couldn't seem to shake off these little niggles, and uh, she started substituting her afternoon runs with just, like, water running two or three times a week where she would she would still be able to – obviously, like, the, the load on your body in the water is so much less than uh, than yeah. when you're actually running but she would she would get a really good workout going without the just that heavy load that's yeah. you know landing on her joints and stuff and as far as i know and can tell from sort of watching her progress and from what i heard from her it seems to be working wonders for her but um it is it's, and it's something that i, I feel like it's not exclusive to to new runners it's it's i know plenty of elite runners who still sometimes fall into that trap of all right like if i can just get a little bit more done somehow then surely i'll see the improvements on the yeah. on the um what do you call it? Like at the finish line, but it doesn't always seem to be the case. So like you mentioned a couple throughout this chat, like your, your sleep, obviously mm. you're running and swimming. Yeah. Um, but, but the gym's one that you said, like for a 10% benefit, roughly it's a, it's one that you don't want to miss. And I've heard, I've heard that you've got a reputation for deadlifting 600 kilos without any flinches, uh, yeah. across yeah. your face. Roughly 600. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm not sure if the source that I got that from was telling fibs, but, um, <laughs> I, th I think it was you actually so i'm not sure if you were lying straight to my face but so what what does your gym program look like at the moment are you still um pumping a, a few because in all honesty i reckon you guys have the reputation for having the best physique in athletics once you get to 1500 3k 5k you just get skinny and bony but 400 to 800 you can still look like an afl player who's uh relatively attractive doesn't look like they're starving yeah no i always admire pete and joe's physique they're uh phenomenal oh, I would not fight those boys. They're stallions, aren't they? Um, yeah, so my – yeah, to be honest, it's probably what I've been letting myself down lately. The gym has been uh, quite challenging to fit in with uh, everything. And just also, it wasn't really allowed until quite recently either. So I haven't really doing – haven't been doing a heap of gym uh, in terms of heavy lifting lately. It's been more um, supplementary stuff with what we've got in the backyard. So we've got a bit of gear, but it's it's been um, – pretty ad hoc i will say um so i've been training a lot more like a distance runner recently um minus the gym but i've always had a really strong focus on gym from the early days uh pretty much yeah my first 400 i ever ran um was off of a lot of gym work um and not, no running actually i was i was um basically in Perth working going to the gym every day with a, with this splinter in my mind that when I get back from Perth I'll, I'll have a go at this running thing um uh, and yeah came back from Perth did like a couple of weeks of uh soccer pre-season and then went out to the track and and ran a 400 uh and the 400 time off of gym and this pre-season couple of weeks of soccer was 48 60 something and I didn't appreciate it at the time probably that that was it was it was it was a good start really um for for and but what i also realized was not just because of that 400 race but i noticed in training as well that this gym i was doing this i was more explosive i was i was moving better so even though i wasn't 
you know, running uh, in the gym. I was literally lifting weights and getting powerful. That really improved my sprinting speed, which I noticed dramatically at those first couple of soccer training sessions back after being in Perth. And, and that just set me up for being, yeah, I guess that more a, a speed-based athlete and, and quite explosive. And I've tried to maintain that, um, yeah, throughout my whole running career really with just, I guess, believing it helps – you maintain that explosiveness and that um, speed, and it's all about efficiency across the ground as well. It's, it's so important in in really all events. Um, in running, if you're if you're efficient across the ground, it, it, you're spending less energy, and and that's really important. So, I find gym is a way to yeah stay springy, um, help uh, I suppose reverse some of the negative negative effects you might experience from from some of the mileage, um, and just help keep you in touch with that speed. Uh, so that you can keep moving smoothly and uh yeah running running well and i guess yeah i I don't i don't have a lot of i suppose uh nothing else to compare it to really but i think it's worked effectively for me and i've often found that yeah i run a lot better when i've been uh doing my gym correctly (laughs) yeah it's uh that's an incredible way to start your um your sprint career with a 48 48 400 off a of a weight training program. I ran for years. I think the fastest 400 I ever ran was 52. And I thought I was a hero at the end of it. I thought I was Usain Bolt. I was strutting around. And um, it was actually funny. The day that I ran that time, it was I was at Olympic Park and uh, there was only one other athlete on the track and she was doing her strides on the back straight. So I was all inspired. And um, I finished the 400 and I walked around the back and it was Yana Pittman. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and um, she goes, mate, what are you training for? I go, oh, 1,500. She goes, oh, you're set for a PB. And I'll never forget that night because um, I thought, oh, Yana Pittman thought I looked good running the 400. Like, <laughs> Oh, that's, that's pretty cool. That was pretty cool. That so, <laughs> it must have been a really nice looking 52-second 400, I reckon. Um, I mean, you said you were over him. Actually, no, that was one thing I was I was interested in as well. Like, a, there seems to be a real correlation. I don't know much about soccer, but I know that so many of the best players look like they're super fast. So it was like um, it was probably like a nice little. Ref- it wouldn't surprise me if quite a few soccer players that were at a top level would bust out a fairly fast four hundred. Because I think more than AFL, I, I don't know if this is true, but the like the centre players in in soccer seem to be able to. Like, they just got an amazing turn of speed. Yeah. Oh, look, there's a lot of quick soccer players out there. I I, I think yeah, there's a soccer is one of those sports that's quite balanced. You do a lot of uh, it's it's big fight leg really with uh, fight leg session with some speed speed drills in between um i actually ran i did actually run a 400 a couple of years before that 48 i think it was i can't remember why <laughs> but it was, it was actually it was right it was literally like the week after the soccer season finished so i'd been playing soccer non-stop um indoor soccer outdoor soccer everything and i think i ran 50 point something so whatever i did in the gym those year or two later was a, still a dramatic improvement than what I got from soccer. So, um, and that was that was probably one of the reasons as well where I, I've probably noticed how or attributed that improvement to, to the gym and not just running around like a madman on, on the soccer pitch. Um, but yeah, that was my background. I thought uh, as a youngster that might, yeah, that was my sport of choice, um, was trying to pursue that at a high level. Um, but essentially, I just wasn't skillful enough. I was only quick, I was quick enough. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> well, always first of the ball, just didn't know what to do with it once you got there. Get there. <laughs> I could run down the line. I just couldn't cross the ball. <laughs> <laughs> were you uh, were you over in Perth for soccer, or what were you doing there? I was working at the Submarine Corporation, so I was a project uh, coordinator, um, doing some work over there on a secondment for five months or so. Um, so in that time, I yeah, it was just essentially being a gym junkie, just doing everything: deadlifts, shoulders, biceps. With a focus on legs, like because I was <laughs> having in my mind, um, you know, we, we would uh, come back to Adelaide and have a go at running, but it was very much just a uh, also a beach muscle focus, and it was summer over there, having having uh, having uh, having a good time, um, but uh, it was yeah, in my mind, I was going to try running when I got back um, with, a, with a bit of a determined focus, um, yeah, and the re- yeah the reason. I can tell you the, the reason for that if you want. I think we took we touched on it last time why I started um, running. Like, so I was just, yeah, essentially um, I was 25 years old roughly when I started running, but um, 
I always found it very tough running. I, I didn't enjoy the um, longer stuff. I actually dreaded. I didn't didn't find it uh, fun at all. I was probably a bit scared of running in a lot of ways. Um, but I did sort of think it was a bit of a somewhat of a talent I had. Um, but my little cousin um, called Clementine, she actually, you know, beautiful, healthy cousin of mine um, had was she she lived in Adelaide at the time, got sick with a brain tumor and, and actually passed away after about a year um which was one of the just one of the most wrong things you can just witness happening in the world you know there's all these philosophies things happen for a reason this and that but this was one of those things that you just couldn't see the reason it was just so wrong in in every sense and i just it was one of those life-changing things where you really appreciate that yeah how lucky you are to be healthy and and, and fit and healthy and that was in i suppose part of me at that point in time just decided that i should uh give this running thing a shot um so i would it wasn't a, you know instant thing it was it took a six months or a year before i brought myself to actually focus on it and, and give it a go but it was that was really my that switch that flicked in my mind and life that just made me probably strong enough to decide that running was it might hurt a bit and the training in it but just commit and, and see what I can do because I just used to think she, she would have loved to be out running and just um so that was a big driver for me and that's it's probably one of the reasons I I, I don't mind I, I kind of enjoy just putting it all out there in a race just letting it all out there and and, and kind of running a race without um holding back and, and just leaving nothing on the table um and that's yeah, that's where that probably comes from, I guess. Yeah, yeah, because it it's far out, man. Like there's a there's a whole other podcast you can go into just on that, because that's just a it's an incredible thing to to have to deal with as well. And obviously, like it's funny, man. Like I've lost a couple of people quite close to me in my life, and it's it is funny how quickly um, you realise that the things you take for granted, are, yeah. are, um, you know, like whether it's your ability to run or whether it's your ability to make choices or whether it's your ability just to not get caught in the rat race of what everyone else is doing. It's funny how all of a sudden a situation like that can just bring it all in perspective and make you question those big things. And um, yeah, yeah I, I felt a similar thing. Like I lost one of my best mates to, to cancer a few years ago and um, I, I went through a similar mindset of uh, after that. I was like, look, I, I don't know. It just, it, it really forced me to look at the way that I was living my life and where I was allocating my time and how yeah. important some of the things that I once thought were essential really yeah. were. So it, it sort of doesn't surprise me that you say um, losing your little cu- Clementine, was it? Losing your yeah. little cousin um, just allowed you to, to access a, like a different realm of um, your mind and, you know, take a chance on something like this. Yes. Yeah, it, it was taking a chance. And it, I guess, you know, something that I think uh, probably a lot of people do. I know, I know Jess does. It. You, you sometimes feel like you're running for other people. It's not necessarily that you're running for yourself, but when you're in your race and hurting a bit, I think uh, it is. You can draw strength from um, thinking of who you're running for and why you're running, and that's a way to, um, yeah, maybe dig a bit deeper when when it is hurting, um, even in training. You know, um, it's. Uh, we're just so lucky to be able to do it and that's what we have to keep remembering it's we're yeah. so fortunate to be able to do our thing and um um just even you notice that when you're injured when you're injured how much you miss running but um injuries even are such a small you know blip in the road when you when you really put things into perspective um so yeah that's that's i've drawn a lot of strength from that and, and other events in life as well and that's i think one of the one of the reasons that running is quite important to to me and and Jess it is something we it is it's almost like a, a bit of a spiritual thing just about it's um it's something that uh, means a lot in a lot of ways so um yeah we'll see how we go huh keep yeah. uh, keep, keep trying to run quick yeah hundred percent man it's interesting I heard Ryan Hall who's a, a Christian bloke a few years ago say that like he's running is his sanctuary yeah and I, I could relate with that it's just it's i don't know if you're the side i imagine you would be i feel like there's not many runners that i've met who don't feel this way but it's a it's such a nice way just to process your emotions as well process the difficulties and the challenges that come up in your life and 
I can I totally understand why people say it's spiritual. Like whenever you start filtering through all these big these big things in your life, it's like far out. Like there's there's something bigger taking place in this. Yeah, no, it's it's it is it is really therapy. Like jogging and, and running is is such a therapeutic thing to do. And yeah, you know, we we live in a pretty complicated world, particularly at the moment. It's always been pretty complicated, but particularly at the moment, running is such a you know simple thing and even such a simple goal that the simplicity of just simply trying to run quicker or, or achieve this goal that um, of, of running a, a pb or a um it's a very um simple thing to focus on in what is quite a complicated world and um i think that's something i find quite uh rewarding with running as well it's it's such a simple sport you can um it hasn't been politicized it's uh the time is a time and and yeah there's tactics in races and um it's uh it can become quite complicated, but it's just such a simple thing to focus on and, and strive for in what is a pretty confusing world sometimes. <laughs> mm. yeah, yeah, that's true, man. Dude, I told you we'd talk for an hour. I've already gone five minutes over, and I feel like I could keep talking to you forever. So let's um let's hit pause there. But, man, obviously we'd, we'd love to touch base with you again, whether it's later in the year or – or whatever when it might like it's an open it's an open welcome whenever you want got something to say or something to <laughs> chat about just reach okay. out and we'll, we'll do another round because it's um yeah really enjoyed talking to you man and uh yeah that was that was a good chat thanks mate no thank you tyson um yeah no i loved love chatting to you and uh really all the best for this next uh is it two weeks now that, uh, yeah roughly we i think assuming the little fella doesn't spin we're yeah. gonna go in for uh like another checkup i think it's it's Friday today, so Jesse's 37 weeks today. I think we're going in next Friday, yeah. and then it'll be sort of scheduled for the next week or so after that. So, yeah. no, that's yeah, that's incredible. Well, yeah, all the best for a happy and healthy process there, and um, I look forward to yeah getting an update maybe one day in the next few weeks. <laughs> awesome, man. Awesome. As soon as us dirty Victorians are allowed across the border, I'll come over and catch up with you guys. We'll go for a run or something. Yeah, absolutely. And right, brother. Some pictures. <laughs> <laughs> right, Take it All easy. Right, Thanks again. See you, brother.